Well, friends, I don't know what your Christmas traditions are in your family, what kind of memories as you gather around Christmas meals or gather around the Christmas tree that you have celebrated. I love this season, and I love all the decorations that go with that. We love to decorate the outside of our house, and my wife does a phenomenal job decorating the inside of our house every which way you turn. And one of the great decorations we have is our Christmas tree. And as Dan mentioned, we once owned a, a Hallmark store, so you can imagine we have a few ornaments, <laughs> a few ornaments on that tree. But one of the things I like to do before I go to bed each night during the Advent and Christmas season, the tree is lit until I go to bed. I go in the living room where the tree is and just pause for a moment of prayer and giving thanks to God for the tremendous blessing he, blessings he's brought to me. And I turn the tree off and go to bed. One of the things we like to do as a family sometimes is to gather around that very tree. And I asked our family a couple years back when my kids were a little bit younger to share their favorite Christmas memory. There's a picture of the actual tree in our living room right now. It looked a lot like that in those days as well. I said, what's, what's your favorite memories? My wife shared one of her memories of a Christmas occasion. My daughter shared hers. And then my son, who's a real thinker, he thought about it the whole time and said, hmm, my favorite Christmas memory was the year my older sister Julie crawled under the tree and accidentally knocked it over, sending ornaments sprawling all over the living room floor. It wasn't really the response I was expecting, but he was pretty thankful for that. I don't know what kind of year 2012 has been for you. For some, I suspect it's been a very difficult year. Maybe the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, breakup or difficulties in a marriage or family, financial struggles or health issues for yourself or maybe someone in your family. For others, I suspect that it may have been relatively uneventful, just kind of chugging along, keep doing what you do, and nothing high or nothing low, just one of those middle-of-the-road kind of years. But I suspect also in this church, a group this size, for some of us, it may have been your best year ever to this point. May have got married for the first time, had a first child or another child added to your family, or maybe a grandchild was born, a graduation, embarking on a new career, or maybe a retirement that you've been now able to do some of the things you've been looking forward to doing all these years. But as we peered through the door to our future in God, the future that God has for us, what do you see when you look forward? I want to share today about what I think God sees and why he sees it in our future and then how it is he's going to help us attain to and live into the future he has chosen. Friends, we must let the great news and the bright light of Christmas not fade away, but rather the truth of it light our path and light the year ahead and not let the news out of Washington, D.C. or any other place darken or dampen the great news that came out of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You see, I believe each one of us has a dream placed in our heart by God. It's a vision deep inside of us. It stirs our very soul when we think about it. We daydream about it. It is the thing that we were born to do. It draws from our gifts, our talents, everything that God has sown into us. It engages our highest ideals and it sparks within us a sense of purpose and of destiny. Do you remember what it felt like when you were a child? The children most have left the sanctuary now when Christmas was approaching. 
You remember seeing gifts under a tree, if that was part of your family tradition, and just wondering, and your mind would race, you were hoping that you were going to get that toy or that, that rifle or that this or that or whatever else you were looking forward to, but you didn't know what was in the packages because they were wrapped. And so you would plead, as our kids did, can we just open one present early? Can we just do one? And our family, we finally conceded that we'd let our kids open one on the very latest point in December 23rd and then one on Christmas Eve morning and kind of spread it out a little bit instead of just the feeding frenzy all on Christmas morning. But that sense of anticipation and excitement and I'll just say the joy of that journey. Can you remember how that felt? Can you remember how good that felt? I want to talk about here today how to rekindle that kind of spark of hopeful anticipation, not over boxes wrapped in colorful paper, but over your future in God, over our future in the purposes of God in the days and particularly the year ahead. It seems like there's so many things, though, that just want to rip that hope nerve right out of our hearts, aren't there? If you listen to the news every day, it's negative, 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 fear, fear, fear. And it makes us end up living in monotone instead of in stereo, in black and white instead of in color, in fear and dread of what bad thing might happen instead of looking forward to our best days yet. The news tells us there's a fiscal cliff we're all going to fall off of. There's political wrangling. There's instability in our economy. All of these things are real, but we cannot let those things overshadow what God is doing. He has ascended to a throne. He is directing the affairs of this universe, this world, this country, and this church. He's still in charge. We need to believe, therefore, that there still is hope for us to have a much better, more fulfilling, more satisfying, and more significant life than we have yet experienced. And that we together can change this world for the better. That is the call to us as God's children. So often life's misfortunes, difficulties, and challenges, and even crushing defeats take our highest hopes away from us. We go on functioning, but we're not really living anymore. The pain inside mounts and ultimately leaves us so numb that we hardly feel anything at all. The joy of Christmas, the joy of life is all drained out of us. The Proverbs tell us in chapter 13, verse 12, hope or that positive anticipation deferred, put off, makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Some ask the question, how do you make a sick heart well? What is the cure for a broken, crushed spirit? Can a person really recover from heart-wrenching defeats, losses, and pain? Is it possible? Well, I'm here today with God's word in hand to say yes, absolutely yes. And God's word will show us exactly how to do that, to rekindle that hope, that positive anticipation in your real life experiences. We're going to see that that cure is to have our deepest longings actually fulfilled, to be living out that purpose that we have in God. The coming of Christ into this world and into our hearts, this has opened the door to the future that God has for us. The prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, 
shares this perspective with us. And this is God speaking in the first person. And I want you to hear it that way as I read it aloud for us. God said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Through Jeremiah, God reveals his heart about us, about our lives, about our future. He has made specific plans for you. Isn't that good to know that somebody smarter, wiser, and much more powerful than you has already gone ahead of you and planned out your future? And he wants you to look forward to it with healthy, positive anticipation. Hope is a powerful, powerful force in us, in the heart, in the mind, in the soul of a human being. It's a confident expectation of future glory in heaven, to be sure. But God's not done with this earth yet. He's not done with this country yet. He's not done with your family yet. He is not done with you, seeing his purposes worked out. Thornton Wilde so aptly observed it this way, hope is a projection of the imagination, but so is despair. Despair all too readily embraces the ills it foresees. Hope is an energy that arouses the mind to explore every possibility to combat them. In response to hope, the imagination is aroused to picture every possibility, to try every door. When I see the incarnate Christ of Christmas, living out God's purpose for him. I see a God on earth that sets people free and releases them to live fully. He came to set captives free, and that still includes us. When I read through the Gospels, I see a God that delivers people from things that bind them or block them, from addictions, from habits, from sins that beset them. I see a God that uses his unlimited power to heal, to make whole the minds and souls and bodies of real people, people just like you and me. I see a God who came to bring good news, the good news of Christmas, in real, palpable, actual, tangible ways, and to create a better life experience for all that he touched. Friends, he came to bring us a new kind of life, not a new religion. He came to bring us a new way of being, not a new set of rules to follow. A new way of knowing God. In the scriptures, we see a God who transforms lowly, broken people into world-changing dynamos. Our best days are still yet to come, friends. So, if this God is who he says he is, if he is that powerful, that intentional, so desirous to bring great plans to pass in our lives, why don't I, or why don't we seem to be able to make much progress? Why do we so often feel like victims instead of victors walking behind the king? We are so often feeling like we're spinning our wheels instead of pressing directly forward. Well, I believe the reason for some of that is that we don't understand what God wants. Now, I've got a couple sets of keys up here. And most of you are like me. You probably have a keychain something like this with your house key on it and your office key and a, a couple of other keys that are vital to you. When you lose your keys, do you kind of go into a little bit of a panic? If it's your car keys you lose, you've got to get someplace. If it's your office key or house key, you get a little nervous about it. Well, I've got another set of keys over here. If 
about the same number of keys on it. This was my most important set of keys about seven years ago. Right now, I have no idea what any of these keys are for or what they would open. You may have, kept, but I won't throw it away because I think there might be one key on there that I want. Friends, I believe the scripture, and we're going to talk about five keys to open the door to God's intended future for our lives here today. First key today we're going to look at is to forget the past. Second key, to forgive everyone. Third key is to find your sweet spot. Fourth key is to focus on the goal. And our fifth key today is to finish strong. So our first key, which we read a few moments ago in Philippians chapter 3, is to forget the past and lock the door behind us. Philippians 3.13, as we read, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. This was the secret of the Apostle Paul's tremendous success. Outside of Jesus, there's probably not been a more significant or influential Christ follower that's ever lived. And if he calls this his secret, his one thing, I want to know what that is, and I want that to be part of my life. Forget the past. But let's be honest here. In a given day, even today, or a given week or month, how much of our mind space and our heart space, our emotions, is spent thinking about, rehashing, rehearsing, and in a a strange sort of way, trying to relive past events, regretting bad decisions, or even relishing in successes in the past because we're not having much today. Friends, regret that looking back and wishing or wanting to have done or said something differently or making a better choice or not taking the right job or not finishing the college degree or getting the next degree or not marrying the right person in your view or stopping some other activity in your life, the voice and the power of regret is like a dark black hand that reaches up every time that we're trying to make progress, every time we're trying to go forward in the purposes of our life and pulls us straight back down. Listening to the voice of regret will never propel you forward into the goals and plans God has for your life. We need to stop listening to that voice. We need to take that black hand that wants to pull us back and slam the door of our past on it and lock it once and for all and tune it out and listen to what God has to say for us in our future. The best way to overcome bad choices and mistakes in your past is to make some really good decisions and choices today. And God will help us to do that. The second key I want to suggest to you here today to a better and the future that God has for us is to forgive everyone for everything. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And maybe some of you are already thinking, oh, they're going to talk about forgiveness again? It seems like we're talking about it all the time. Well, you know what? We need to be talking about it all the time because we're surrounded by, even in church, by flawed, sinful human beings. We are going to get nicked up along the way. We are going to be hurt 
on a regular basis. We have to have a mindset to know what to do with that. The scripture gives us the cure is to forgive, to forget, and to move on. We cannot control what others are going to do or say to us today any more than we could have at any point in time in our life. What we can control is how we're going to react and respond and deal with it. And forgiveness is that cure. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, shared this. At last, I finally understood. In the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness to God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. Friends, my encouragement to you here today and as we go into a new year is to give everyone a clean slate again. Everyone. And while you're at it, give yourself a clean slate as well. God's mercies are new every morning. If we're going to pursue and press on into the high heights that God has for us in the days, weeks, and particularly the year ahead, the future he's planned, we must release this forgiveness. Our hearts cannot simply bear the pain of the past, the wounds of the past, and at the same time embrace the future God has for us. When we look at it that way, it's a simple choice. Why should we let for one second longer someone's offense or something that someone's done to us limit us or block us from the best things God has for us in the future? Let go and forgive. A forgiving heart is a cleansed heart and a liberated heart. Then, when we've closed the door to our past, forgiven everyone, including ourselves, when, when we're ready then for our future, our third key comes into play, and that's to find your sweet spot and to play to your strengths. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The New Living Translation translates the beginning of that verse and says, for we are God's masterpiece. just want you to hear that about yourself today when you think about your prospects. You are a masterpiece. You've been created and formed and made in the image of your creator by the greatest artist there could ever be. He's sown into you talents and abilities, capacities, and all kinds of things that you're not even fully aware of yet. You are a unique person. I read some time back that a Van Gogh painting sold for $56 million at an auction. That may not be the highest price, but that seems really high. Friends, you are a priceless original because God has made you, and you are valued at a much higher cost than $56 million. Your value to God was the price of his own son. You are an irreplaceable treasure in this world. Handle yourself and your dreams with great care. Because of God's work in you and in us, you are really good at some things. You probably know that. You're probably not so good at some other things. 
Well, you're really good at some things because God made you that way. And he wants to use that talent or that gift or that ability to further his purposes and to help you live out that plan he has for your life. Thank him for that. Don't try to live somebody else's vision. Don't try to live somebody else's life, no matter how much people around you are trying to push you this way or or move you that way or make you go that particular way. God wired you a certain way. And as you come in touch with that, you're going to get a sense of your destiny in a much clearer way, and your future is going to look very different. William Barclay said it so well. There are two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. You may not think you have many gifts or talents or abilities to offer, but God made you on purpose for a purpose. Max Lucado shares this story in the book The Cure for the Common Life from World War II. Because what seems small to you might be huge to someone else. Just ask Bon Fox. World War II, during the war, Fox piloted a B-17 bomber. On one mission, he sustained flak from Nazi anti-aircraft guns. Even though his gas tanks were pierced, the plane did not explode, and Fox was unable to land the plane, was able to land the plane safely. Morning following the raid, he talked to his crew chief, and he asked for the German shell that had gone into his gas tank. He wanted it as a souvenir of his incredible good fortune. The crew chief explained that not just one, but 11 shells had entered the gas tanks of that plane none of which had exploded. Technicians opened the missiles and found them to be void of explosive charge. They were clean and harmless with one exception, they were empty. The exception contained a carefully rolled piece of paper. On it, there was a message been scrawled in the Czech language. Translated, the note read, this is all we can do for you now. You see, a courageous assembly line worker was disarming bombs and scribbled a note. He couldn't end the war but he could save one plane at a time. He couldn't do everything, but he could do something, and so he did it. Many small acts, all of your small acts of kindness and courage are making a difference. You may not see the effects. That assembly line worker didn't know which plane, which crew he saved, but those who benefited from that act of courage knew exactly who he was. Frederick Buechner said it this way, the place where God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You matter, and what you do matters to God and to this world. Our fourth key, then, is we need to focus on the goal and aim for God's best. Philippians 3.14, the apostle says, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you're like me, but I like to set goals. It's been part of my nature. I'm not sure where I got that from my dad or my mom. I'm not sure how I got that. But way back in 1983, beginning of the year in early January, probably the first week of January, in those days I was leading a Bible study. Um, A bunch of people were there. And I suggested to the group that we write down our goals for the year of 1983. The second time we met a week later, we shared them again and kind of reinforced each other. One of the goals I shared first week of January 1983 was, I wanted to at least have met the woman I would marry someday by the end of 83. I shared it the first week, shared it the second week, pretty much forgot about it. Well, on December 26th of 1983, I stopped by my sister's home in Downers Grove to pick something up my dad had left at a Christmas gathering the day before. 
And there she was, my sister, having dinner with a beautiful blonde-haired young woman named Carol. We spoke briefly, and my sister, the clever one that she was, saw how we interacted and invited both of us to a New Year's Eve gathering at her home just five days later. So on December 31st, 1983, uh, Carol and I were, I think, uh, ceremonially kicked out of my sister's house about 3.30 a.m. still talking to each other. Well, we're still talking to each other. We were married a little over a year later, and we're about to celebrate our 28th anniversary this coming January. God sees. God knows. And when we submit our plans, the proverb says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Write down your goals. Take some time as you're getting in touch, even as you're listening to me here today, those deep drives, those deep passions, those deep interests, those things that you've probably just given up on maybe because of the stage of life you're in, because of the finances, whatever else it is, what is still percolating down inside of you that you've yet to do that you've always wanted to do? What noble things have been brewing inside of you that have not found their expression yet? I encourage you to write that even on your worship folder before you leave here today. Don't have to show it to somebody else unless you have the courage. I'm going to encourage you to do that in just a moment. But the fact is, We need to get our goals out so that we can see them and and bring them before God in prayer so he can help us. Dan Zadro said it this way, written goals have a way of transforming wishes into wants, can'ts into cans, dreams into plans, and plans into reality. Don't just think it, ink it. Deschardins put it this way, reach beyond your grasp. Your goal should be grand enough to get the best of you. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 32 says this, but the noble man makes noble plans and by noble deeds he stands. Once we've got the plans, we've got a sense of direction of the plans, then the fifth key comes into place. We need to finish strong. Paul says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. This mindset of having a purpose, a vision, and a plan that the apostle shares is not just for spiritual giants like the apostle Paul. It's not just for prophets or holy men. Paul says all of us who are mature should take this kind of view, this kind of approach to our living. That all of us includes you and I here today. Today, you have the opportunity to dream with God, to dream with him in such a way that will lift you and propel you forward in God's highest purposes in the year ahead. Friends, don't let anything hold you back. I encourage you to live out the year ahead using the keys God's word has given to us, looking forward with hope, letting go of the past hurts, using all of our God-given gifts and talents, staying focused on that high calling, and determined to stand tall and be the world changers that we are. If the world doesn't have our input, if the world doesn't hear from us, we are that light of the world we've talked about already, then it will continue to stumble around in darkness. But let's not let that happen on our watch. We, in our lifetimes, those gathered in this sanctuary today, have seen the decay of our culture and our society. We have seen tremendous declines in morality and ethics. It is our time. This is our hour. It is our 
purpose and the plan of God that we would stand up and stand tall in the purposes that God has called us into. You were born for a purpose. Embrace it. You were bought at a very high price. Be grateful. You are a capable, gifted person. So be confident. You have a unique and specific call. So be ready. God has made plans for you. So be positive. He will show you his dream. So let's be excited. The door to your future is wide open. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord your God is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that your plans never change. We zigzag along the path of life, going sideways and backwards and forwards, but God, your plans remain sure. Your word is settled forever in heaven, and you've chosen to include us in your highest of purposes. Empower us this day towards them. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.